Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. As you know, tomorrow is Mother's Day, so happy early Mother's Day. Thank you. Today's case, in my personal opinion, like embodies the true love, dedication, and determination of a mother's love. Before we get into the case itself, we need to talk a little bit about where the play, like the case takes place and what's going on during this time. So we're going to talk about San Fernandino, Mexico in like the 2011-2012 time period. So the area was heavily under the control of the Zetas, which was part of the Gulf Cartel in Mexico, and they controlled a large part of Mexico. The victims were murdered in an area of geography controlled by the Zetas, which is a very ruthless and powerful cartel operating inside of Mexico. It shows you their degree of control from one end of the country to the other of the entire human trafficking chain. So the citizens there lived in constant fear of shootouts, Many places that had been like popular hangouts in the area began to shut down because of these shootouts. And a lot of citizens even like uprooted their lives, their families, like their norm to move in order to escape the Zetas. One of those was Luis, um, which will be an important player in this. But his mother, Miriam Rodriguez, decided to stay in San Fernandito. Miriam's daughter and Luis's sister, Karen, She stayed with her mother so that she could finish school, and she would occasionally help at her mother's store called Rodeo Boots. I'm sure you can guess by the name, but it sold cowboy boots and apparel. At the beginning of 2012, Miriam would have wished Karen went with her older brother, Luis. Because on January 23rd, 2012, Karen was driving, and she began to merge into oncoming traffic. However, she did a pickup truck pulled up alongside each side of her car blocking her from going any further. Of course, with no choice, Karen stalked the car, and men with guns forced Karen in their pickup truck and sped off, taking her with them. I know very little about the cartel, but I thought they were more into gang wars and drugs. Why would they kidnap Karen? So this cartel would kidnap people to get ransom money, or sometimes, if they felt extra evil, They held the captives and they would have them like fight each other for sport, essentially. So basically, the kidnappings were just the cartel's way to extort money from innocent families. So was this like families that were on the scene pretty well off if they're trying to get ransom money? I don't really think they cared. They just wanted their money. Oh, okay. But yeah, they're just kind of jerks, you know? So the kidnappers took Karen to her family home where they bound and gagged her, leaving her laying on the floor in her own living room. Oh my gosh, wait. 
wouldn't Miriam come home and find her or were they planning to take Miriam as well? So Karen lived in the family home alone during the week because Miriam was a nanny in Texas and she like lived there during the week. What the kidnappers did not plan on was a mechanic stopping by at the request of Karen's uncle to check out the family's truck because it was having some issues. Since this was not part of the plan, the kidnappers grabbed the mechanic too because they panicked. So Miriam was able to get in touch with the cartel and begged for them to release Karen. They were adamant they didn't have Miriam's daughter, but did tell her that they could offer their help for the low sum of $2,000 of a finder's fee. During the conversation that Miriam had with them, she heard the name Sama over a walkie-talkie. At the time, she didn't think much of it. She was more focused on Karen, so she paid the finder's fee and waited patiently. However, despite paying the fee and the cartel's promise that they could find her, um, the cartel just stopped answering Miriam's calls, and of course, Karen didn't come home. Miriam would get other calls over time um, from other people and sometimes other people in the cartel asking for like $500 here and they would bring Karen home or you need another $500 for this. And though Miriam did not feel like giving them more money would bring Karen home, she would still get a bit of hope each time and she would still pay. Eventually, even those calls would stop coming in though. And Miriam had no hope left to hold on to. However, where there was a lack of hope, it quickly filled with determination to find Karen and bring her abductor to justice. How does she even know who was involved in Karen's kidnapping? Well, do you remember the mechanic that the guys also snatched because he was essentially in the wrong place at the wrong time? Yes. Okay, so the cartel let him go because he was not really part of their plan. Marion picked every bit of his memory, asking him about everything he heard, saw, knew, everything. And... During this, she confirmed that the name Sama that she had heard on the walkie-talkie feedback that day was, in fact, involved in Karen's kidnapping. And that is where Miriam decided to start. Social media being her main source of information, she searched over her daughter's profiles for any clues and also looked at Sama's profiles. One day, she had a break in her case. She stumbled across a photo Sama was tagged in, and in it, he's standing next to a woman dressed in a work outfit with the name of an ice cream shop two hours away. Miriam decided to start there. She drove to Suadad, Victoria, and eventually stalked this woman at work. She began to memorize the girl's hours at work, but she had no real interest in the girl at the ice cream store. Miriam wanted Sama, and that was who picked the girl up at the end of her shifts. Miriam would follow them home. She had their address. Miriam decides she needs to take it a step further to get more information before she takes this over to police. So she comes up with her own undercover operation to do just that. She cut her hair, dyed it fire engine red, put on an old uniform from her past job at the health ministry, and conducted a fake poll in the neighborhood. This allows her to go right up to Sama and ask some questions she needed the answer to without looking suspicious. And it worked. I'm not going to lie. That's actually really impressive. And I hope I would do something like that. I agree. But things start to look less great for Miriam. Police take the information she gave them and the uh, government issues a warrant for Sama's arrest. But there's one problem. Sama's already skipped town. This frustrates Miriam to no end, but it does not deter her from pushing on to find the others responsible. 
Miriam uses Sama as her new starting point, combing through photos of him with others online as possible other conspirators in the crime. Miriam got lucky, and I mean very lucky, on September 15th, 2014. Before we talk about her luck, we have to rewind to Miriam's older brother, older son, sorry, Karen's older brother, Louise, that I mentioned at the beginning. Told you he'd be important. So I also told you he moved out to San Fernandino because of the cartel violence, which is true. He moved two hours away to Suicide, Victoria, which is where that ice cream shop was. And he ran a shop there, similar to his mother's, Rodeo Boots. And on September 15th, Louis was working, and he was planning to shut down early because it was Independence Day there. And he wanted to go have some fun, you know, celebrate, enjoy the events happening. However, just about this time, he's starting to, you know, shut up shop, clean up. A young skinny guy walks in, and it's none other than Sama himself. Louise calls his mom immediately, and while he stayed back a bit to keep tabs on Sama's movements until police arrived and apprehended him. Open a bottle of red and cross the tape with us, Brendan, and Hillary on our true crime podcast, Crossing the Tape. We are a married couple who met while working as a cop and CSI at a homicide scene. Our upcoming episodes feature fascinating wine heists. Subscribe to Crossing the Tape wherever you listen to your podcast to hear about rare murder cases serial killers, forensic history, and more. During interrogation, Sama provided some important details to police that, of course, Miriam got told of. They told her about him. However, Miriam's only desire was not, was justice. She wasn't looking for vengeance. She could have easily killed Sama. I'd be looking for both. No law. But she wanted justice. You could tell this heavily... When Miriam encountered Christian Jose Zapata Gonzalez, who was just 18 years old when Sama gave his name to the police. Police brought him in for interrogation, and this kid was terrified. He asked to see his mother and even told the police he was hungry. And Miriam's motherly heart broke when she overheard the exchange. She went into her bag, pulled out her fried chicken that she was going to have for lunch, and gave it to Christian. And then she found the closest vending machine and bought him a Coke. Wow, that that's pure kindness. I mean, he had a part in her daughter's disappearance. I don't I would hope that I could be that kind, but I don't know. It's true. But it seemed to make Christian more open to telling them what he knew. So he agreed to take the police to a place he referred to as the ranch. It was eventually, I mean essentially, essentially a body dumping ground of like their kidnapping victims. So the police and Miriam head out toward the ranch, turning on a dirt road right past a barbecue restaurant. A worn, broken-down tractor sat in the yard. The small home that sat there had bullet holes all on the side, and a noose hung from a bare tree. This, Miriam thought, is where Karen is. Dead, for sure, but here somewhere. She was positive. In the home and around the grounds were debris and bones, at times mixed together. That of 72 bodies of victims of the cartel was found on this ranch. Miriam was drawn to the pile of personal items piled up together. She assumed these had belonged to those who, like Karen, had died here. She was even more sure of this when she saw Karen's scarf and a seat cushion from Karen's truck. Despite seeing these items and her motherly instinct telling her Karen was here on the ranch, forensic, um, forensic agents 
they said otherwise. Those agents had identified dozens of different bodies from the bones, but Karen was not among them. Miriam was not as confident as the forensic agents, though. She fought the government on their investigation of the ranch, and a year later would have confirmation when a group went back out and found a femur, Karen's femur. The trip to the ranch brought more clues to Miriam, though. As she left the ranch that day, she saw someone familiar at the barbecue restaurant, a local resident, Elvia Uliza Bentecourt. I'm not real sure if I said that right, but I did my best. So Miriam stopped in to speak to her and asked if Elvia had heard about Karen. Despite the fact that Miriam knew Elvia had heard about it, she played dumb instead. Not really sure why, and Miriam shoved it off at first, but later, it kind of crossed Miriam's mind that maybe Elvia knew something. She even considered that Elvia may have been the lookout for the ranch in case police came. She went back to social media to see what she could find, and lo and behold, Elvia was the girlfriend of one of Karen's kidnappers. That kidnapper was now in prison for a different crime, though. The FBI should hire Miriam. She is crazy good at this. She is really good at this. And when she finds out this information about Elvia, she hangs out around the prison during visiting hours for weeks. Until finally, Elvia comes to visit her boyfriend, and that's where police arrest her. It was confirmed later that some of the ransom calls actually came from Elvia's home. Miriam continued on her crusade to find any others involved. She found that some had died and others were locked up for unrelated crimes like Elvia's boyfriend had been. She had found one who had chosen to give his life to God as a born-again Christian. His name was Enrique Yoel Rubio Flores. Miriam was able to track him down to his hometown of Aldama and had sat down with Enrique's grandmother. His grandmother told Miriam of Enrique's troubled youth and the trouble he had been in. Miriam decided to attend service at the church that Enrique attended. When she confirmed he was there, that is where she tipped off police to be able to find him. It's also where the police stormed in and arrested Enrique, much to the shock of the entire congregation. Apparently, one person attending service that day looked at Miriam and asked her to show Enrique some mercy. Wow, they have to be joking, right? Guess they really believed in forgiveness, but Miriam was quoted as saying, quote, where was his compassion when they killed my daughter? End quote. You know, seems like a valid question to me. Another of the kidnappers was said to be peddling flowers on the border of Mexico and Texas. She threw a trench coat and a baseball cap on over her pajamas and went to find this florist. She searched and searched and finally found him, though on this day, he was peddling sunglasses instead of flowers. The now sunglass peddler saw and recognized Miriam across the way. He then ran down a narrow street with Miriam close on his heels. When she got close enough, she reached out and snagged him by the back of his shirt. She kept a gun to his back, threatening to shoot if he moved. In total, Miriam brought 10 of the criminals to justice through her tenacious work of getting justice for her daughter's kidnappers and killers. Miriam, of course, though, became a target. And not only to the cartel she was working against, but also other local gangs who saw her as a threat. She began walking around with a metaphorical target on her back. Her friends and family began to wonder if Miriam had gone too far. 
Miriam, on the other hand, seemed to have no fear of the cartel or death. She said, quote, I don't care if they kill me. I died that day they killed my daughter. I want to end this. I'm going to take out the people who hurt my daughter and they can do whatever they want to me, end quote. She is incredibly brave, but she has other children and I'm sure grandchildren who would miss her. She was killed by the cartel. I see why they would be worried. Miriam was brave. The last target she got actually left Miriam with a broken foot. Sometime in April 2017, Miriam learned one of the response one of those responsible for Karen's death was a woman that was now a nanny. She was a live-in nanny in Ciudad Victoria, to be precise. Miriam waited patiently outside the home until she laid eyes on the woman. Miriam saw her, she called the police who showed up outside the home. Miriam ran up to meet them on the front lawn, but unfortunately tripped and broke her foot. She got medical attention and ended up with a cast and crutches. A few weeks later, on May 10th of 2017, which was Mother's Day, she was getting home late-ish, just before 10.30 p.m. She parked on the street and eased out of her car, being mindful of her injured foot. A white Nissan truck drove by and stopped as men who had apparently escaped prison shut off 13 shots at Miriam. That is awful. Did nobody tell Miriam about the escape or had they not realized yet to give her protection? Oh, they knew about the escape because it had happened two months earlier in March. In total, about two dozen prisoners were able to escape a prison in Ciudad Victoria. Miriam's family pushed the government for protection, which resulted in periodic police drive-bys of her home and work. Despite that, the cartel wanted revenge on the woman who had put many of them behind bars, so they came for Miriam. Did they find the people who killed Miriam? So they ended up arresting two and killing another in a gunfight. However, the two arrested would not give up who actually ordered the hit. They were very tight-lipped about it. Miriam's son, Louise, took over the organization started by his mother. The organization was to help other families find their missing family members. Though with Miriam's death, the the collective decreased in, in support because of fear. However, even after death, Miriam's work brought to justice another of the kidnappers of Karen. About a month after Miriam was gunned down, the police arrested the woman who hung Karen up like a punching bag in order to beat and torture her. In total, Miriam brought 10 of those involved in her daughter's kidnapping to justice. If that is not a story for Mother's Day... I don't know what is. That is true. I, that is amazing. But it's also amazing that they only wanted $2,000 for her ransom. Like I thought it was going to be 20000 or some kind of crazy amount, but $2,000. Well, I'm guessing that they, since they do this a lot, that's why I was thinking, I don't think it really matters. Like if they're well-off families, I think they're asking for a amount that they think they can get. I mean, they're killing them anyway mm-hmm. and then moving on to the next one. Yeah, if you've got, like, what was it, 72 bodies out there? Yeah, I mean, 72 times 2,000. Plus, they were actually, she they ended up paying more than that because she paid yeah. them $500 every so often. So, you know, let's say that it's up 4,000. 4,000 times 72, that's a lot of money. And that's just like the police were just so nonchalant and didn't care about anything that was going on. If Miriam's got to do all the police work and footwork herself. Yeah, I mean, they obviously weren't investigating. She did all of it, but I don't know how true it is in the 2000s, but you see in the movies a lot that there's police in the pocket of these cartels for their safety or whatever other reason for the money. And so that could have been the case that maybe the cartel's not really investigated, but of course they can't 
turn her away when she's got solid evidence and they have to arrest them then. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a really, really mind blowing story. And it seemed like the perfect one to talk about the day before mother's day. I agree. She is amazing. She is. She's truly phenomenal. Um, you know, there's no doubt that she loved her daughter. Um, and she, you know, was not scared of the cartel. She, she did not care. Um, it led to her demise, but not before she got a lot of them. So we hope that you all have a happy Mother's Day and that you are not having to hunt down the killer of your children. So, yes, have a great Mother's Day. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers. If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us. So please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.